but uh, let's bring Adam and, and Jason on. And maybe Adam, we'll start with you. Um, there's so much around the U.S. Open and course setup from the USGA. Just wondering your thoughts on how Wingfoot has looked uh, through two and a half days so far. Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing was that the uh, director of golf courses at Wingfoot, the superintendent, the lead superintendent there, was very much on the record before the week started saying that his uh, team was going after a winning score of eight over par. So uh, I think coming into Thursday, there was a lot of anticipation for a lot more carnage than what we're seeing right now with the leader being at five under par. So uh, certainly we all saw kind of videos and photos of, of the rough being as high as it was, you know, the greens just absolutely ripping uh, as well. But uh, I mean, these are the best players in the world. And, and if you kind of give them just a little bit of an opening, uh, they're going to take advantage of it. Now there are some extremely high scores. There's been some extremely you know, frustrating golf being played. There's been, you know, a lot of big guys having missed the cut shooting well, well over par uh, over the first two rounds, but to see, you know, kind of a, a handful of guys under par and certainly the leader at five under uh, when the desired course setup was eight over, I don't think it's quite playing as difficult as it could be. P picking up on that, Jason, um, of the notable names who missed the cut, who surprised you the most? Oh, you know, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I, I would throw out that, you know, I know a lot of casual fans will only tune into the majors, look at Tiger, they look at Phil Mickelson and say, wow, they missed the cut, they're not going to be around. Not really that much of a surprise anymore, really, for either of them. A, a little bit more of a surprise for Tiger than Phil. But I'll throw two names out, uh, guys uh, who, uh, who hail from England, and I thought would be really good plays this week. One of them, Tommy Fleetwood, owns a really strong track record, at the U.S. Open, another one, Matthew Fitzpatrick, who plays well on really difficult golf courses in tough conditions like we have this week. But neither one of those players made the cut. And so, to me, those are two of the more surprising names who aren't here on the weekend. But we've got a, a bunch of really good players on the leaderboard. And uh, just to um, advance on what Adam said a minute ago, as far as Wingfoot right now, I, it might be the best example of a golf course being a living, breathing element right now with uh, the weather conditions um, affecting things and impacting things on uh, really like a minute-by-minute -minute basis because we have seen this golf course go from eh, probably a little bit too easy on Thursday to wow it's really hard on Friday and then you wake up this morning and say oh boy now it's like getting really hard Saturday morning and all of a sudden the wind is laid down a little bit and guys are able to uh, post some scores here in the afternoon. The current leader, Matthew Wolf, he's 500 for the day, 500 for the championship through 11 holes here on Saturday. Uh, Adam, two of the four Canadians made the cut, Adam Hadwin and Taylor Pendrith. Uh, just maybe a quick thought on the Canadians, what you liked and, uh, and what you saw also from Corey Connors, who missed the cut, uh, as well as Mackenzie Hughes. Yeah, I mean, from a from a Canadian perspective, I was I, I would say probably a little bit more surprised that Mackenzie Hughes uh, missed the cut, just kind of coming in to this week with all the momentum, having finished 14th uh, on the FedEx Cup last season, um, and, and basically just having a heck of a run in kind of this latter portion of the uh, of the tour season after the COVID-19 break. So a little bit more surprised to see him miss the cut. Same actually with with Corey, given Corey's uh, excellent start on. Thursday. Uh, you know, he's one of the best ball strikers on the planet and, and proved that kind of early on uh, in the week. And then, of course, just kind of ran into the, the really difficult afternoon conditions at Wingfoot yesterday to miss the cut. But the two guys who did 
find the weekend in Adam Hadwin and Taylor Penrith. I mean, Adam uh, has played some okay golf uh, since the COVID-19 break, but he's managed to kind of put it all together so far this week. And, and now he's found the weekend and, you know, didn't play all that great today, uh, but is still in a prime position to have a, a fine finish tomorrow. I think the biggest story of the week from a Canadian perspective has to be Taylor Pendrith. Um, you know, he's in here with nothing to lose this week, uh, was one of the top guys on the Corn Ferry Tour, which is how he earned a spot into the tournament. Uh, and I think a lot of certainly American, whether they be golf journalists or fans or whomever, you know, they're going to see him and he, they're going to see his numbers and kind of have, okay, I, I got to keep an eye on this guy over the next year or so when, when he finally does earn that PGA Tour card. I, I think he's number one in driving distance this week. He certainly was uh, earlier on in the week. So driving distance. But the cool thing is, for a guy who hits it as far as he does, uh, he's got excellent hands. He's got a magical short game. And, and we're kind of seeing somebody who's kind of gone out there, played this week with nothing to lose, made the cut, didn't play all that great today. But again, massive learning experience for him. He, his fiance works at a hospital in Hamilton, Ontario, hasn't seen her in the last five months. Uh, so this is a guy who's just out there trying to play golf, trying to get to the end of the season uh, to return back home to Canada. So you got to just give kudos to him. He's come in here. He's had a great debut at a major championship. Saturday Golf Roundtable on Sportsnet 650. Pleased to be joined by Adam Stanley, golf writer and contributor to Sportsnet.ca. And from the U.S., Jason Sobel, golf writer at the Action Network and host of U.S. Open Radio on Sirius XM. Guys, when we look at the leaderboard right now, Matthew Wolf uh, in the lead, but Patrick Reed had, uh, you know, had held the lead overnight. Xander Shoffley's in there, Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, Justin Thomas had sort of the low round of the week with a 65 on Thursday. Um, give me your thoughts on who you think is maybe a favorite from this point and maybe give me a, a thought on a dark horse as well. We'll start with you, Jason. Yeah, well, I think uh, whenever we talk favorite, I always go to the betting odds and I look at the actual favorite, not who I think is the favorite. And I believe the last time I checked, it was Patrick Reed, but I don't think Matthew Wolf had, uh, had won up to him at that point and gotten into sole possession of the lead. So it is probably very close uh, in the books as far as the live numbers between Matthew Wolf and Patrick Reed right now, probably each of them right around three to one or so uh, with uh, – what sort of uh, a round and a half left to play. If I had to pick somebody, boy, I really liked Reed coming in just because, uh, even though he's missing so many fairways, uh, the short game has been so good uh, coming into this week. Plus the fact that seven of the last 10 U.S. Open champions had been either leader or co-leader after 36 holes. So even in a tournament where, hey, you figure if you go a few under par, you can make up ground in a hurry. It tends to be the guy who's leading in the weekend that kind of uh, gives everybody else the stiff arm and is able to stay in the lead. That said, watch out for Xander Shoffley. Uh, he was my second favorite guy coming in. I had John Rahm at the top of my list coming into the week, but Xander Shoffley with uh, six career top ten finishes in only 12 major championship starts includes three finishes of sixth or better in this very golf tournament and he just has the right mentality for the U.S. Open, so I'm keeping my eye on him right now. And uh, Xander Shoffley's two under for the day, two under for the championship. Adam, uh, maybe your dark horse pick. Uh, who do you like that maybe uh, is sort of somewhere at the top of the leaderboard? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, Jason's out there a lot more often than I am week in and week out and kind of seeing these guys up uh, up close and personal. I was going to mention Xander as well, just given his, his track record at major championships. But uh, it is very odd for me to use this golfer's name and dark horse in the same sentence. But I'm going to call, call out Rory McIlroy uh, for the balance of today and then, uh, well, into tomorrow as well. Two under par today. Uh, so he's inside the top 10, one over for the championship. Uh, going into tomorrow, if he can kind of build off that momentum, if he shoots two under par again tomorrow, if he gets into red figures, um, I'm going to say that he's either going to be shooting for uh, for the lead or kind of right right there as well. So it's odd to call Rory McIlroy a dark horse, uh, but given this uh, this week and everything that's happened, you know, I, I do think that he's got a great shot to uh, to do this again tomorrow Sunday uh, and have a real chance at uh, at taking the title. Adam Stanley and Jason Sobel joining us here on Sports at 650 to talk about the 120th U.S. Open. Uh, just before you guys came on, Israel was mentioning his memory of uh, the 2006 uh, U.S. Open at Wingfoot and Phil Mickelson on the 72nd hole, uh, ending up on a double bogey and losing the championship. Um, Phil's had six runner-ups at the U.S. Open, and now at 50 years old, I'm just sort of wondering, he was plus 13 this week, didn't make the cut. But you look ahead at, you know, the future venues of the U.S. Open. We got Torrey Pines next year, the Country Club in Brookline the year after, L.A. Country Club in Pinehurst, where he was a runner-up in 1999. I'm just wondering, is the window closed for Phil with this championship? Because it would be such a great story for him to complete the career Grand Slam. Yeah, I'll take that one. I, I think that it's uh, if it's not closed, it's uh, you could barely fit your fingers through it right now because he will be 51 uh, during U.S. Open next uh, week, next next year, if indeed he uh, he is deciding to play, if indeed they do play in June, of course. Um, and if you look at what he's done over the, the past year, okay, he's got a second place in Memphis, uh, the WGC, which should help his world ranking. But he said earlier this year that if he hadn't qualified for the U.S. Open, he wasn't going to take an exemption. And I'm sure the USGA would love to give him as a – six-time runner-up as a Hall of Fame golfer, as a, a legendary player. They'd love to give him an exemption, but if Phil still has uh, some bad taste in his mouth towards Torrey Pines, which he has indeed had in the past, then I would not be surprised if Phil Mickelson does not even play in the U.S. Open next year, let alone have a good chance to go out there and win. The other part of that is, uh, even if he wants to take an exemption, if his game is where it was, Coming into this week, shooting a 79-74, just not able to hit any fairways off the tee whatsoever, then I'm not sure Phil wants to play in another one of these things. As much as he would love to go out there and win that elusive U.S. Open title, I'm not sure he wants to go out there and and go through the work that it requires and uh, quite honestly embarrass himself, which uh, I'm not sure he's quite there yet, but uh, I know he wasn't happy about how it turned out this week, and I know that uh, you know, if given another chance to go out and just play two rounds in a ceremonial type of deal instead of having a chance to win the golf tournament, I don't think that would appeal to him too much. Yeah, I mean, I think he hit two two fairways, maybe three, four fairways uh, on, on Friday. So, you know, just a couple in the opening round. And, you know, to Jason's point, I'm sure that the USGA would be willing to give him one of the special exemptions or who knows, maybe Phil will win the U.S. Senior Open one year and, and get an exemption into the uh, into the U.S. Open as well moving forward. But, you know, just given what we saw this week, despite, you know, the, the marathon practice session before he got going, 
Uh, I think it was on Thursday. It just looked like he was so out of sorts. And, you know, the U.S. Open is going to test your game physically and, and mentally. And I just don't think that Phil now has all sort of pistols firing like he did, you know, over the last decade or two, uh, specifically for this championship. Jason Sobel and Adam Stanley joining us here on On Air with Alex Blair and Israel Fair. Uh, Matthew Wolf leading the U.S. Open just uh, about a couple weeks after Colin Morikawa won the PGA Championship. Uh, it feels like we're sort of being ushered into a new era of some young players. Uh, but it doesn't feel like the era that sort of came before with Rory and Jordan Spieth and Dustin Johnson is is all that done. But I did want to ask you guys about Jordan Spieth. Uh, he, he popped up on the TV the other day and I was thinking, God, I haven't. I haven't heard that much about Jordan. You know, I look back at his 2015 year. He wins the U, uh, he wins the Masters and the U.S. Open. He's second at the PGA Championship. But when I looked at it, I couldn't believe it that his last win on tour was the 2017 Open Championship. What what's going on with with Jordan Spieth? <laughs> well, I think Jordan Spieth made a huge step forward this week. And if you look at his scores, you wouldn't think so. And he's been struggling for a while. But for months, for even a couple of years, Jordan Spieth has been telling us publicly that he's close, that, you know, hey, it's, it's working on the range. I'm just having a tough time bringing it to the course, but I know it's going to come around soon. And all of us watching Jordan Spieth know that isn't the truth. We're, we're watching him saying he, he is nowhere near close to getting back to uh, any semblance of what he was before. Well, this week, Jordan Spieth stood in front of the cameras, stood in front of the microphones and said, look, I just, it's really hard to play a U.S. Open when I have no idea where the ball is going. I, I would love to get back to the point where I was before. I'm working really hard at it, but right now my game is just not there. And like I said, I think that's a huge step in the right direction. He is admitting publicly that his, he is nowhere close to the golfer that he once was or, or really could be again in the future. And again, if, if Jordan Spieth is a stock, um, he is far from the all-time high, but I am buying low on him right now. I am bullish for the long-term future. The short term is not going to be good. It's not going to be good for a while. Um, what does he need? I, I don't. You know, there's there's a million uh, couch analysts out there who will uh, tell Jordan Spieth he needs to fire his coach, he needs to fire his caddy, he needs to put his change from his right pocket to his left pocket, whatever it might be. Um, but I think he just needs to figure it out on his own. And for anyone else to tell him, here's what you need to do in order to get back to uh, one of the best players in the world again, I, I don't think it's going to come from anybody else. I think it has to come from him himself figuring it out. But again, I love the fact that at least now he's admitting what we can all see with our own eyes. Yeah, and bu building off of that point quickly, you know, Jordan Spieth is only 27 years old. Um, you know, if he's been struggling and clearly has been over the last couple of years and, and likely will be uh, moving forward, at least in the short term, like Jason said, you know, this is a guy who's still got what a decade and a half more on uh, at the highest level in the sport to, to try to figure it out. And, and he looked so lost this week, but uh, to Jason's point again, he finally kind of came out and, and said as such. And I think everyone was just kind of waiting for this moment and maybe this acceptance was exactly what he needed to uh, kind of break free of the chains of people thinking, Oh, everything's fine when really uh, it's not. And it's, it's far from, from being okay. So 
Uh, I guess we'll see when, when Jordan decides to tee it up next. I, I think a couple weeks off it looks like for him based on uh, scheduling and whatnot. But, again, you know, November rolls around. It's Augusta National. It's a place that he's played so well at before. Who knows? Maybe he'll find something before then or, or get re-inspired uh, upon uh, arrival at uh, that little tournament in November this year. So who knows what's going to happen with Jordan Spieth. But I, I agree with Jason insofar as him coming out and saying, listen, guys, I'm, I'm lost. I, I don't know what's happening. I think was a was a very solid first step as well. The 120th U.S. Open rolls on at Wingfoot. Matthew Wolf leading the way at five under. Um, Jason and Adam, just really appreciate you guys joining us today. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. No worries. Thanks, guys.